This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Lee Yoder, and we talk all about transitioning from full-time employment to full-time real estate investing. We touch on how long that took him, what strategies he implemented, and what that transition looked like. But before all that, here is today's golden nugget of the day. Today's golden nugget is maintain contact during escrow to secure your deal. And by that, I mean you want to make sure that everyone is communicated with during the contract period. So when you're under contract on a house, typically this would be off market, you want to make sure that everyone knows what's going on and the seller is at ease. So the way you do this is if you're buying off market, the seller will likely have some anxiety, okay, going into the deal because they're not working with a real estate agent. They're working with you as an individual or your house buying company. So you want to make sure that the title company reaches out as soon as possible to introduce themselves, you know, warm up the client and make sure that they know, hey, we're preparing your paperwork and this is all on the up and up. This will provide that third-party validation to the seller and just put their mind at ease. Also, you can set the expectation up front that you will be touching base periodically throughout the contract period and make sure you actually do that. Okay, These are just ways that we provide legitimacy and communication during the contract period because the worst thing that could happen would be things go awry and the seller doesn't trust you anymore and worst case scenario, they back out of the contract. So with all that said, let me introduce today's guest. Lee Yoder was a practicing physical therapist when he realized his true passion was building his own business and investing in real estate. He has taken this passion and considerable action to quickly build a portfolio with several small apartment buildings. Lee is the founder and visionary behind Threefold Real Estate Investing, and he's committed to forging a path that will generate incredible wealth and opportunity for all involved. So without further ado, here is episode nine of the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. Welcome to the show, Lee. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dalen. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I'm glad you're here. Can you give the listeners a short introduction about yourself, how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I went to school to be a physical therapist. So I um, was doing some outpatient physical therapy uh, when I came out of school, then went to do home health physical therapy where I'm driving around to people's homes and, and doing their therapy. So I got to make my own schedule. Um, the pay was, you know, was, was, was good. I mean, not, you know, anything incredible, plenty for my family. Uh, we don't have you know a lot of expenses. So that job for my family was great. I mean, I was home a lot. I uh, was very low stress. Uh, so my wife loved it. You know, it was, it was good for us. We were, you know, just starting our family. The problem for me uh, is that I just feel God, it's not a type of job God created me to do because I was just really bored. I mean, as much as it was, you know, low stress and, and kind of an easy, relaxing job, honestly, like then it just wasn't exciting or fulfilling for me. Like, I just don't want that kind of a job. So um, the company I was with actually asked me to come in and be the clinical director. 
uh, I jumped at that opportunity and started actually building out this division for this company. It was a startup company. And I was really becoming more of a director of operations type role. And I wasn't doing any physical therapy anymore. I was in the office full time. And then, it, so over those next you know couple of years of doing that, my job totally transitioned from being awesome for my family, um, tons of flexibility, you know, tons of time to, to focus on, you know, the things that really matter in life, but just being really unfilled with my work to being very fulfilled with my work. I mean, this was a startup environment, exciting, challenging, fulfilling, but now uh, I have less time for sure, but also like even just less bandwidth for my family, less um, energy. And, and, and I, you know, just kind of consume my, my job. I'm, I'm the type of person that really enjoys work and I really pour a lot into it. So that wasn't good either. You know, now we have two young kids at this time and um, I just wasn't be able to, to give my, my family or um, honestly, like my faith, uh, the, the time and energy and commitment that I wanted to, because I was putting so much into work. So it was kind of looked like, okay, I've kind of seen both ends. Um, I didn't want to go back to just being a home health physical therapist because I knew it just wouldn't last. Like I'm just not made for that type of work. I, I knew I'd get really bored. So, uh, somebody introduced me to real estate, um, you know, and, and kind of gave me this obscure book, but anyway, kind of led me down that rabbit hole. I read rich dad, poor dad, read some others. And I was just hooked. I'm like, okay, this, this really speaks to me because to me, it was like, okay, I can go do real estate and my dad's in construction. I've done some construction. So in a lot of ways, real estate spoke to me. It wasn't like, Oh, I just found this. And, and this is it. Like it, it just matched me. And I thought, now, this is a way I can kind of be an entrepreneur and so get into real estate, really enjoy it, be challenged by it, be fulfilled by it, but also control my time better than I can when I'm climbing the corporate ladder. So that was kind of my idea. And I left that corporate job, took about a 30% pay cut um, to go back to doing home health physical therapy. Um, but knowing that I wasn't just going to do that, I was going to do real estate on the side as a side hustle. So that was about four and a half years ago, Dale, and, and um, I got to get into more of that, but that's my journey of how I got into real estate. Yeah, and we we will get into more of that, but so thank you for sharing. Um, I think just in response to that, I think especially men, we kind of, so much of our identity is tied up in our work and it's hard sure. to admit to ourselves like our family is, our family life is lacking or our faith life is lacking and you came to that realization finally. So I think that's awesome. So while you were you have a good wife, you need a good wife. Yes. To help you. She's much more, you know, wise about that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, and I, and I just think that's one difference between men and women. I mean, frankly, women often just do a better job of thinking about the family, you know, being yes. like the, you know, how's our home? How's our family? And my wife was just so good. And, you know, I kind of argue with her at first and then I come around to go, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like I'm not that present at home. So yeah, good, good point. Yeah. Yeah, my wife does that. She keeps me in check a lot. And I think even if you're not married, you can have maybe a mentor or a sure. person in your um, social circle that can hold you accountable to keeping that balance. So that's really yeah, sure. key. Yeah. So I want to unpack, like when you were working that full-time um, W-2 career um, as the home health, how did that job flexibility help you get into real estate? Because I know if you're going to a physical office and working all day, you can't take phone calls, can't text. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That will inhibit, I would argue, your ability to expand and grow. So how did that home flexibility job work? Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And I think, Dalen, like this is so prevalent today. More and more people are finding themselves working from home and, and uh, working remote and having more flexibility. So hopefully 
more people are able to, to, to take advantage of this in the way that I did, because you're exactly right. I mean, more than half of my day, I was in my car. So driving from house to house and then doing documentation in my car. So yeah, I had a lot of flexibility to take calls. Also, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. So I was getting really well educated. Um, but yeah, just, and, and, and honestly, Dalen, I mean, part of it is just having the bandwidth, like my job wasn't consuming me. I mean, with my corporate job, yeah, I was making a lot more money, but I was putting everything into that. And, and that's fine. I mean, I always try to say like, there are people that should do that. And then you should be, you should invest in, I think everybody should invest in real estate, but I don't think everybody should do it actively. So if, if you've got a great job and you're all about that and you're not interested in getting into real estate, you know, actively, then just keep doing that, maximize your wealth there, you know, your, your income earning, I guess, and then try to build wealth through real estate. But for me, that wasn't that job I wanted. I wasn't as passionate about it. I'm so much more passionate about real estate. But when you have a flexible job, yeah, you can you can start to learn. You can start to, I mean, I had flexibility to go meet with people, you know, meet with people like you, Dale, where I can start going, hey, like, what are you doing? What are you seeing? And start, um, you know, kind of the iron sharpens iron and, and, and trying to figure out exactly what I want to do, uh, meeting with people that have already done it. Um, so then I'm, I'm able to, you know, start moving forward. Uh, but really, Calling. I mean, even just the time to look at properties, the energy, the the, the bandwidth to, to start learning how to underwrite, go to meetings, all that kind of stuff. Because now that I'm home more during the day and present more, to ask my wife, "Hey, can I slip out tonight and go to this, you know, real estate?" It's like, yeah, sure, because like I'm not drowning here alone, raising two kids by myself. You know, when whereas you know when you're climbing the corporate ladder, like you said, I mean, you're there all day, and then you get home and and your family hasn't seen you all day, you know, and, and if you're working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, it's more difficult than maybe to say, all right, now I need to go to these real estate meetups and do all this. But with my job, I was able to do that. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant way to get into it because like since COVID and because I work in a high tech job accounting, like this is my home office. So like uh, I can shift around my uh, day job hours to do stuff like this or to answer phone calls. And uh, as long as your like employer is okay with that, then I would say go all for it because if if you're taken up in the whole the whole daytime hours, like you're really going to restrict your growth. Um, mm-hmm. Like like you said, though, it's still possible through passive um, ways, or you just have sure. to get really good at systems. If you're going to have a full time job, you have to really be good at delegating and being okay with other people doing a lot of the work for you. Yes, right. Yeah, delegation yep. super key, and that could be a whole nother podcast episode, but. I want to touch on um, how can someone transform their current career into a real estate investing career? Because you did it. So can you lay down the expectations of like how they do it? How long should it take? And what kind of sacrifices should you be expected to make? Yeah. um, Yeah. I hate putting a a hard time on, but I would say it's going to take you a few years. I mean, I think give yourself more time. I mean, uh, someone was just mentioning that quote the other day and I really like it. It just said, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in like 10 years or even five years. And so I think probably you can achieve a lot more in five years than you think. But like, if you think you're going to whip it all together in one year, I I think you're, you're probably being overly optimistic. Um, you're going to have to sacrifice some time. So if you, if you've got a a job, even, even a job like mine, I mean, I, I, it was still a full-time job. I had a lot of flexibility and and frankly, I was probably barely working 40 hours, but still I had to sacrifice another 10 or 20, you know, for, for a couple of years, you know, trying to get it going and and build it up. So you're, you're sacrificing, you know, some mornings, some evenings, some weekends, um, 
you know, maybe you like to drive and relax. Well, now you got to like educate yourself and make phone calls while, while you're driving or whatever. Or maybe you're a lot of, I don't know, a lot of guys that do start with a corporate job. I mean, they were using like every lunch break. So you got to, you got to sacrifice some of that downtime and just work a little bit harder than, than most people to get into it. Um, I, I think the the best way you kind of mentioned some of it, Dalen, I mean, um, educating yourself is huge and then networking and, and potentially partnering. So I think if you partner with somebody, Maybe you partner with somebody that's full time. And I think of some people that, that work these corporate jobs that are really busy, but you're working around a lot of people that have a lot of money potentially. So maybe you're more the money raiser, right? And you're just talking to people at work and networking with people and you're just raising money while you're working, but then it's your other partner that's finding the deal. So you can certainly cut down on your time, but then you're splitting everything 50, 50. So every deal you do, you know, you're getting less of that deal. So it's, you know, getting a little bit, um, it's getting closer to, to quitting, but a little bit slower. Um, so there's some different ways. I mean, for me, you know, we started pretty small. We just did a single family flip, got into a duplex. And then our third one was a 16 unit. Uh, but even like I got up to 34 units and we were having a managed and we had money partners on those. And I was about halfway to replacing my income just to put some, we, we wanted to have 60 grand a year, right? So 5,000 a month was kind of a goal. Again, we don't have high expenses, so it would have been plenty for our family. And with 34 units, we were about halfway there. Um, so that just kind of gives you an idea um, with, with some small multifamilies. And we could have probably been probably even better than that. But but I, I think even with the small multis, uh, with, with some of the money part. Now, again, if I would have had all, I mean, obviously I had about, well, I, I had 50% of those 34 units. So if I would owned 100%, I'd have been there. And I'd have been, you know, over what we yeah. needed. So that, that kind of gives people an idea of what you may need if you're going with, going, you know, kind of getting into multifamily. Single family is very different. You don't need as many units, but obviously you have to buy more buildings. So I had 34 units in three buildings. And if I'd have owned those myself, uh, I would have been able to, you know, to, to retire with on the passive income. Single families, you don't need 34 single families, but you need a lot more than three buildings. So it might be, you know, somewhere in between like, like, 12 or 14 single family homes, which is a lot more purchases, but less units. So mm-hmm. maybe that kind of gives people some numbers and some ideas of what you might need to get to, to, to replace your income. Yeah. I've heard, you know, three to five years is probably a good estimate, but then there's some people that can just, I mean, they, they're very driven. And then, so it's hard to put a timetable on that. So it is. Yeah. So why did you choose multifamily? You know, you started in the flip and then you did duplex, but why multifamily and who do you think that niche is suited for? Yeah, great question. Uh, because I, I am not against single family investing at all. I, I think real estate, I mean, I, I don't do it and I don't want to get off on the table, but I, I, I believe in mobile home parks. I believe in self-storage, like all this stuff. I, I think it's, you know, there's so much out there in real estate. I mean, because it really comes down to getting good debt, paying down, paying down the debt, good interest rates, obviously right now. People always need a place to live, all that kind of stuff. So, so it's a great investment to me, Dale. And one thing I knew is that I did not want to manage my own stuff. If you want to manage your own stuff, I think single family may have the edge because with single family, you're going to have just kind of a higher class of, of resident, frankly. And it doesn't even matter the area that you're in, but someone that's going to live in a single family, number one, they're going to pay more. Um, they're probably going to have a family, so they're not going to want to move as frequently and they're going to take care of it. A lot of people, you know, may end up renting the same home for 20 years and treat it like their own and vacancy is what kills you. You know, vacancy is, is the, what, what kills your cash flow. So if you're trying to replace income, if you're trying to create passive income, 
you want to keep things, you know, keep your units occupied. And I think single family is a great way to do that. And managing a single family is just, it's just easier. Like I said, cause you've just got a higher class of resident that probably is going to like do some of their own repairs, stay there for a long time. Whereas, you know, you got a one bed unit where someone's sharing a wall, share, you know, someone lives above them, that type of person doesn't treat it like their own. And, and they probably stay a year or two and move out. So you're turning units more, which is expensive. Um, you know, your vacancy costs you stuff like that, but it's hard to get somebody to manage 10 single family homes well and, and, and cheaply, right. Versus having someone manage a hundred unit apartment building for, I mean, that's the more extreme example, but you know, where you can have somebody on site. So the economies of scale really do help and you get better management for less money, the more units you have. So that was one thing that did it for me. Um, I think if you truly want to build a business, I would go multifamily uh, because again, you're, you're going to be able to accumulate more units more quickly, bring in more investors. And you're actually starting to build a business where you're letting the property management, even if you do the property management house, you're going to start building a property management company. You're going to truly build more of a business where you're finding deals, partnering with property management company, raising money, and you're building a business. Whereas if if you just want to kind of do it on your own, and and I, I know people that say, you know, I want to kind of buy one property a year, then just buy a single family property every year, right? Stick somebody in there. You probably don't have to mess with them. Probably talk to them once or twice a year. One of those times is to renew their lease for the next year. I mean, maybe I'm painting too rosy of a picture because when that person does move out, you may have some high costs. And so some people speak against single family for those reasons, but I don't. Um, but I, yeah, I think the person that wants to really build a business and wants to accumulate a lot of units and really build some big wealth, um, I, I think you want to try to go multifamily and, and go that route. But if you just want to slowly build up some units and maybe just, especially if you just say, I just want to um, contribute a little bit more to my retirement through real estate, I just buy some single family homes or some small stuff, maybe a duplex, triplex, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely case by case because when you read books like Building Wealth One House at a Time by uh, I think it's John Schwab, I mean, it makes it seem like, oh, that strategy is the best. Just buy one house at a time. Uh, But then there's other people that, you know, denounce that because it's like, oh, you're thinking too small or you should just start in the big stuff, the big hundred units. So it it leaves a lot of people like empty about what they should do. Um, But either way, real estate works, (laughs) whatever you're doing. So um, that you know, that's the point we have to take home there. Um, so if somebody is interested in multifamily, what would kind of be the first steps they would take? And also you can include book recommendations there. Yeah, sure. So, um, multifamily is a different beast. So I think you got to get around some people that are already doing it. You know, for me, the, the main, the biggest step I took Dalen that really helped me was going to the local RIA, the Cincinnati RIA, um, and, and through that RIA, they have an apartment focus group. So there was a guy leading a group once a month, and he was teaching us what I think is the most important tool that people that haven't invested in multifamily yet probably don't have. I definitely didn't have, and that's underwriting. So he was teaching us to underwrite, and you have to get really good at that, or somebody on your team does. Um, that underwriting a property, just, just you know, if you, if you don't kind of understand that, is just basically determining the value of of a property based on its current numbers. So you look at the income minus the expenses, you get your net operating income, you know, then you figure what am I going to pay in the mortgage? After you take that out, now you get your cash flow number, which tells you, you know, your, your annual profit. Okay. So you can look at those numbers, look at the area. You use a thing called a cap rate, which is just market dependent to tell you like, Hey, based on the risk, based on the, the, 
all the factors that go into this area. This is how we're going to value apartments. And a lower cap rate means we're going to value apartments higher because a lower cap rate means there's lower risk. So you're going to pay more for the same income, um, the same net operating income in the area. You're going to pay more if it's lower risk, just like if you think of a stock market, anything you're going to invest in with more risk and in a riskier area, you're going to expect a better return because your, your um, chance of loss is higher. So anyway, you got to know those kind of things. You got to know how to underwrite. And I think the best way to do that is to get around people that are already doing that, get around some people that can teach you. I mean, if you, if you've got some funds and you want to get started quick and you want to jump right in, I, I don't, I'm not against paying for coaching. I think there's some great coaching programs out there. Not only do you get the coaching and learn how to do it, but you get in a network of people and you're likely to find some partners in that network. So I looked into it pretty seriously, but luckily my city happens to have a really good RIA. And not only that, more importantly, I mean, if it just had the RIA, I, I would still probably have joined coaching, but it had an apartment focus group with a really good teacher that was willing to, to really kind of invest in me and others. Um, so I think that's, that's the first step to me that you, you got to take. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, if you have a good RIA in your area. And so how are you networking? Cause I know you really prioritize that and that's, in most cases, more important than anything else. So how are you networking now? I know you have a podcast and other things. What else are you doing to get your name out there? Yeah, the podcast has been a great way to to network. I, I bring, you know, kind of like you're doing, Dalen, you, I get to bring on other great investors and, and, and talk with them. But, um, you know, a lot of them kind of already have things going on. They kind of already have their team, they have investors and stuff. So I'm kind of more learning with them. The networking is is just through the meetup groups. Uh, I think, you know, the, the RIAs, uh, and then you'll see in any city, you know, if you jump on bigger pockets or something like that, you'll see people that are doing, doing meetups. And, and um, to me, it's all about that. Just getting out um, in person. I mean, our, uh, the apartment focus group and stuff in RIA, those are a lot online now on Zoom. So, I mean, uh, even less excuse, you can do it from your living room. Um, but getting out in person is when you actually develop a relationship with people. So I think you got to do those things. I think you got to get out and go to these meetups. Absolutely. So I've heard in multifamily, you can, you know, underwrite and underwrite and look at many, many deals. And then at the end of the day, you know, you haven't really accomplished anything because maybe that deal didn't go through. So can you explain how you stay motivated in the multifamily game when you maybe doing like one deal a quarter and that's it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's especially tough dealing up until you do your first one. I mean, that it's really tough. Um, I got a good book recommendation, not necessarily real estate related, but um, uh, called uh, The Compound Effect. Have you read that one? Uh, um, Darren no, Hardy, I think. I've actually, I've purchased it on Audible, but I need to read it. It, it's really good. And just a basic concept. It, it, it's not a, it's not a, it's a concept. I'm, I'm sure you, you understand at a basic level anyway, but just this idea that um, uh, the compound interest idea, right? Like how powerful the tool that is. I think it was Albert Einstein that said compound interest or something along those lines is like the the eighth wonder of the world or something like it. It's, it's so powerful. And in the book, like he, he gives you this illustration that, you know, I, I forget what these numbers come out to, but it's like, if somebody offered you $2 million today, or they gave you a penny and they and told you they would double your money every day for 30 days, which would you take? And it's just, it's inconceivable that, that doubling a penny and then doubling two pennies and doubling four pennies could ever equal $2 million, let alone like in 30 days. But it's actually something like 2.5 million or 5 million, whatever it is. It's better to get your penny double. And, and what you realize is, 20 days in, you still only have like $1,000 or something. So you're way behind the guy that got $2 million in day one. But suddenly you start taking these massive jumps and, and that's what exponential growth does is like you see very little growth 
And then all of a sudden, boom, you take off. And that's what you have to remember when you're, when you're trying to buy multifamily, especially like the bigger you go, you know, if you're going to jump in and say, I want to buy a 50 unit apartment building, you may, yeah, you may work for a year and have nothing, but a year in one day, you have a, you have 50 units, right? So mm-hmm. it's so fresh. You just, I don't know. I, I just think you have to keep that in mind. I think, I think that's one thing for me where podcasts really help because you listen to one like this and you've got somebody like me reminding you that that's okay. So you sit there and you go, okay, um, this is how it's supposed to go. But you also have to, to give yourself set little or milestones, set little goals along the way, because the whole time you're trying to find apartment building, Dalen, you got to be raising money. So maybe you've talked to a few people, maybe now, this, you know, maybe a few months into it, you have zero units still, or, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have a few, but you haven't bought your first apartment building, but you've now, you know, you have commitments of $400,000 by talking to investors. That's a huge, like you're, you've done part of the, part of the work. So you gotta, you gotta think of that as, as progress and you gotta count those as, as, you know, wins each week. So each week you kind of have to look like, you know, did I raise some money? I mean, even underwriting more deals, like every deal you don't buy, you're just honing your, your skills. Cause what I ended up happening for me, Dalen, you know, as an example, I had bought a 16 unit apartment building, but I had underwritten hundreds of deals. Right. So I only got one of them. It was a 16 unit building, but literally the day we were closing on that 16 unit, this is the law of the first deal. If you ever hear somebody like Michael Blanc talk about the law of the first deal, this is it right here. The day we were closing on the 16 unit, a buddy of mine who I'd been talking about real estate investing to, and he wanted to get into it, sent me a listing that was on the MLS, like residential MLS, a buddy of his from church had posted this. And it's one of those where like a residential guy listing a multifamily, like commercial property, didn't really know maybe how to value it. But because I had underwritten so many deals, he sent this to me and I said, put that under contract today for asking price. That is a great deal. But it was only because I did all this work for a year, right, of getting no deals that I was able to say that. So you just got to keep, and and we got that property under contract. I mean, just a quick example for 300,000, sold it, you know, a little over a year later for 512. Crazy good deal, but it was only because I did all this work to know in the moment, yes, put that under contract. And you can always get out of it just as, you know, warning people, like I, I knew we would go through an inspection period. If it wasn't a good deal, we could, you know, we could get out of it. But um, anyway, yeah, you, I don't know, Dylan, it, that is the difficult part about apartment investing for sure. Yeah. It's a muscle you train because everybody likes to look at the Facebook feed, the tip of the iceberg success story, but what you did really no one sees. And that's what like gave you all that chance of success, you know, lining up to this. Um, yeah. Another book that I would say, um, is like that is um, the slight edge. The slight oh, okay. edge is uh, kind of like that where it's like do a few things each day and then that'll pack on you know exponentially grow on top of each other yeah, like exactly. ten pages book, of yeah. a nonfiction book. Um, do you know thirty minutes of exercise things like that. So I recommend checking out the slight edge and then the compound effect. Yeah, I'll get to that soon. <laughs> so. Um, one of my last questions are, how do you prioritize your faith because you're a man of faith and family when real estate can take up so much of our thoughts and actions? I mean, you and I, we love real estate. It's honestly, I would just talk about it all day if I could. So how do we keep our faith, family and other obligations or not obligations, but um, things that we have to do and need to do in check? Yeah, it's a great question, Dale. I think it's the most important question. Um, and I think it's something people need to be frequently asking themselves. Like you said, especially 
you know, there's plenty of women out there too, but a, a lot of men, you know, really uh, pursue work and, and pursue worldly things. And, and that's fine. I mean, and a lot of it's pursuing financial uh, stability for your family. Those are good things. Um, but yeah, if you're not careful, you get wrapped up in it, then you'll find at the end of the day, maybe you've done really well financially, but you've lost, you know, those relationships that mean so much more in the end. I think you just have to be really intentional about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's the same way that you're intentional about your work. And like you say, Hey, you know, Dalen, how, how are you finding, you know, podcast guests? Well, you got to put in the time each day and, and, and block out time for that. You know, a lot of people use time blocks. Like you, you block out time to reach out to people to be on your podcast and that's how you make sure it happens. We'll do the same thing with, with your faith and your family. It's not, you know, God's not offended that we, you know, block out time for him. I mean, it's important to be intentional that way. So for me, Dalen, that that's um, kind of the miracle morning concept. Um, you know, and, and I think part of the miracle morning is like meditation. Well, for me, meditation is prayer and I got to do that in the morning. If I don't do it in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I'll jump right in and I'm excited about real estate and the day will just get carried away. And I get to the end of the day and I'm tired. And I'm not going to do, you know, good. I'm not going to read the Bible at night. It'll, you know, put me to sleep too fast or whatever. And I won't get through it. So for me, it's in the morning with my, with my coffee. That's when I'm getting the word and praying and spending time, you know, with God then so that, it, that I make sure it happens. And then it sets my day on the right path. And then I'm, you know, focused on God and eternal things throughout the day as I'm doing real estate. Those are the eyes I want to see through. And that sets me up in the beginning of the day. And then um, I spend time in the morning with my kids and my wife as well. So again, I'm trying to get a lot of that time in before I even start work. Um, and, and then I just, you know, for me, dinner is a must. I've, I've got to be done um, in time for dinner. And then a lot of, I do have phone calls in the evening sometimes. Um, but, but again, by then, you know, maybe the kids are doing something else and um, I may be doing something uh, with them, but I have time for a phone call. So uh, I think you just got to be intentional. You got to get it on your schedule. Um, and I really like the idea of starting in the morning with that. Then you make sure that happens. So if the day gets carried away, you've already, you know, done good and set your time up um, or set your day up by, by spending time in the word and, and in prayer, things like that in the morning. Yeah, that's, those are some good takeaways. Also, if you've ever read the book, The One Thing, he talks yes. about like work-life balance is a phrase that's thrown around and people think it has to be like, there's work on this side and life is on this side. And you have to like draw a very perfect line up that. Um, but rather it's almost like a zigzag where you're a lot focused on work, a lot focused on family. So it tangibly, that may look like you may work, you know, 60 hours this week, uh, but then next week or the next month, you take a week long vacation. So right. we shouldn't think that, oh, we can only work eight hours a day, eight hours family, eight hours sleep. Maybe it's 12 hours a day work, but then for a while, and then you take a week long vacation. So yeah. start thinking outside the box about that concept. And I think you're doing that. You're realizing that. So any, yeah, any and what, another another thing about that book, Dalen, that I really like is he talks about use the one because I love that book. I, I love the concept of the one thing. I think that's because you and I were kind of talking about that, Dalen, with apartment investing. It's like don't focus all the time on hey, I, I got to buy a fifty unit apartment building. Focus on no the 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 one thing I need to do today. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, I like to think of it in, in three. Like what are the three things I can do today to move the needle? It's not going to be putting in an offer on a, a 50 unit apartment building most days, it's going to be, you know, jumping on a podcast like this, you know, talk, calling up an investor. So I love the one thing. I, I love that concept. Like what are the things you can do today that are actually going to move the needle? Well, what I love about that book and, and I've heard um, the author of the book and his wife talk. And he says like, do the same thing with your family. What's the one thing I can do today to, to pursue my wife, to, to make my wife feel like, you know, she's, 
you know, the person I value most in the world. What can I do to pursue my kids today? Like, so use that same concept. Again, I, I just think like, especially if you're a guy that, that struggles with, because you're just so into work and you're always setting goals and you're like really serious in work. I mean, transfer some of that to your family, right? Transfer that to, to your faith. Use those same concepts for that. And you'll be successful there as well. Good point. Good point. I would agree with that. Um, this last part of our show, um, Lee, is called the triple threat. And we ask the same three questions to folks. So the first one is, what's the app or tool that has been the biggest game changer in your business? You know, I'm one of the worst people to ask this, Dalen. Um, I'm, a, I'm the guy that like, I just started using the calendar on my phone, like in the past year, uh, before I was on a paper calendar, <laughs> I'll tell you, that's been great. Um, that's something that's not going to help anybody. Cause I'm sure everybody's already doing that. Um, you know, uh, but we, we use, um, for our business, we use Google, uh, docs or, or the Google drive. I mean, and, and that's really helpful. Um, I'm a big time spreadsheet guy. And I think a lot of people that get into real estate, they're also big time spreadsheet people and, and always using Excel. Uh, but, it's, and again, this is very simple. This is not a great answer, but just having that on the Google drive. So my partner can see it and anybody can see it and we can share that and update it different. I mean, we keep track of our, our weekly goals on there. Like I know what he's working on. He knows what I'm working on. So I just, that's what I would say. Google drive, I guess, and, and use a calendar on your phone instead of paper calendar. Yeah. Where have you been with the calendar? I don't know how yeah, it without I mine. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're scheduling podcasts and stuff, it, it, it was, yeah, it was a long yeah. time coming. I'm glad to have arrived in the 21st century finally. Well, I mean, you arrived on time, so no yeah. issues there. Yep. So what has been the biggest failure in the last year for you? And why do you think that happened? Um, in the last year, I'll tell you, I would say uh, word of caution to, to um, you know, young investors. Uh, this was a multifamily deal. So let me, it happened in my 16 unit as well, but my 10 unit uh, happened in spades. And that's just that um, you really have to, um, probably over prepare for the amount of deferred maintenance in a building when, when you take over a building that's not been run well. And, and frankly, you know, Dale, I'm sure you know that that's often how you get into a good deal, right? Is you find a, a property owner or in a property management company that are not doing a very good job managing the property. So as an example, when we bought this 10 unit, it was 50% vacant. So we went in knowing like, we were going to do a bunch of exterior work and we were going to, I mean, those, those five units were bad. So we knew we had to put a lot of money into those five units. And I, I, then one guy moved out pretty quick. And so we had money to put into his units. What I would have never guessed is the thousands of dollars we would spend on the four residents that stayed in place, right? Like you, you don't realize what people will live with. I mean, in my 16 unit, we went in and we were just changing a toilet for a lady and honestly, it was just, well, I think we did know it wasn't working great, but it was more like, hey, let's put updated tenant, uh, toilets in that are, you know, not wasting water, that kind of thing. Well, while we were in there, she's like, hey, can you look at my uh, vanity in my bathroom because the water doesn't work? And I'm like, what do you mean the water doesn't work? It was leaking so bad and no one would fix it. The previous owner wouldn't fix it. So she ne- she just turned the water off. Like she never used her sink in her bathroom. She didn't have a sink in her bathroom. And she lived like that for like four years. And so, you know, we ended up spending, you know, a few hundred bucks on that or whatever. And we did that in a bunch of units. And I I just, I would have not thought someone would live like that. So I just underestimated the amount of deferred maintenance, like the, like I said, I mean, and then you're just replacing water heaters and it's a thousand bucks a pop. Like, so you when you're buying a a value added project, when you're buying something that hasn't been maintained well, 
I mean, you may be looking at ten, twenty thousand dollars, depending on how big the building is, on deferred maintenance, even when the residents stay in place, right? So uh, that was a mistake I made, and, and something you know your listeners will want to be wary of. Yeah, knowing your rehab numbers is super important. I just got done with a very ugly rehab, a six month rehab on a single family house. It was just unbelievable and yeah. went way over budget. And now I'm like, I don't want to do that again. So now I've just been wholesaling other things to other investors. Um, cause I'm, I don't want to touch that kind of a rehab, but that's probably wrong of me. I just need to build the teams and be better at estimating those repair costs. But yeah, repairs mm-hmm. are the biggest thing that will make you lose your shirt as a young investor for sure. Yep. Not, it's not something to be like afraid of and hold back and getting started, but it is something you want to get somebody qualified to look at. Well, and you just want to have the capital for it. You know, yes. we, we end up, I end up putting some more of my own money in. Um, so I was in a position to do that. I knew that ahead of time, but you don't want to have to do that. I mean, you want to, you want to come in with enough capital and, and I would just say overrate. I mean, you'll hear a lot of people say that, especially in multifamily raise more than you think you're going to need because mm-hmm. I mean, your experience, Dalen, on your flip of, you know, going over budget is incredibly common. <laughs> it happens yes. almost all the time. So just raise more than raise more than you think you're going to need. Mm-hmm. Good, good point. Our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial lifestyle or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me, Dalen means um, being able to focus on the things that, that mean the most to me and, and really having time to develop the relationships. For me, it's pursuing Christ and, and, and serving God, but then it's my wife and my kids, um, you know, family and friends beyond that too, but especially my family. Um, it's it's having the time, but also like I kind of mentioned, like the, the, the capacity, the bandwidth to really um, engage with them. They have the energy to do that. So for me, but then also the only important to me is to be, to still be able to work. So like I said, to me, real estate uh, presented this, this dream scenario for me where I get to work very hard and be fulfilled in my work, you know, be challenged in my work, but also not be consumed by it. So I can really also be fulfilled with my relationships with, with my, with my God, with my wife, my kids. Uh, so that's what freedom is to me, to be able to do both of those things. I, I want to work and work very hard, but I want to be able to control it and also, you know, keep my priorities straight at the same time. Right on. Well, Lee, um, this concludes the episode. Uh, you've just been inspiring to me. You're you're juggling family and faith and real estate, and I think you're doing them all very well. So thank you for thank you. bringing on your expertise, and I hope the listeners can learn a lot from this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dale. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. And tune in next week for the next episode.